But hey, so we're, um, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling Letters, Letters to a Friend, and, um, or Letters from a Friend. And uh, the, the thought process was this. It was like, okay, and I'm just going to let you know how, a little bit of how this works. So we finished Restart, and I was like, okay, I got three weeks. <laughs> and, and my default when it comes to picking things is if I could just pick, like, a text and preach on that text, like, that's where I am the most happy and I'm the most comfortable. So we're like, well, let's pick the three shortest books of the New Testament, and let's just cover them, and let's give it a really fun title. But really, we're just going to walk through these three books. So, um, so we're calling it Letters from a Friend, and they are letters from a friend. And so last week, we talked about Philemon. And I would guess that a lot of you probably have never heard a sermon on the book of Philemon before, um, but you did last week. And then this week, we're going to look at John's John's second letter. And, and this letter is 13 verses, and it could not be more packed with stuff. And even as you dive into what it's talking about, man, it really feels incredibly pertinent to really today, which is the beauty, part of the beauty of Scripture. And as I was thinking about this letter, though, um, and it's about truth and love. It made me think about something that happened to me when I was in seventh grade. Now, when I was in seventh grade, um, at the end of my social studies year, we had to come up with a research project. Okay, so the research project was we, we got a country, and the country was picked for us, and then we had to do a bunch of different things to, I don't know, to complete the project and get a good grade. My country was Switzerland, and so I didn't pick it, it picked me. And and so I had a, one of the things that we had to do in our research was write a report. And so now, when I was in middle school, the internet wasn't what it is today. Okay, so back in the day, yeah, back in the day, there, were, there was a group of people who understood the internet really well, and there was a group of people who didn't really understand it that well. So I had a friend who understood the internet really well, and so what he did was he would find people who wrote about your country online, he would copy and paste it into a Word document, make the formatting look like you wrote it, and then you could turn it in. We have a word for that. It's called plagiarism. And he only charged... He only charged $10 for the report. And so, so I'm, I'm in seventh grade, and I'm thinking, well, I could write a report on Switzerland, or I could pay someone to do this. And so I paid him. I gave him 10 bucks, and he gave me this report. And, and, I, and I figured my teacher, she, she doesn't know the internet and how it works. She's going to be thrown off by the formatting and just give me a good grade. So I turned in my paper. And a week later, she calls me after class, and she says, Hey, Ryan, um, did you write this paper? And I said, I don't know, did I? And she knew very quickly that I didn't write the paper because, believe it or not, in seventh grade, my vocabulary was very different than that of a master's level student at Duke University. <laughs> so so I, I told her, I was like, no, I didn't. And you know what she did? She gave me a zero. I didn't get the grade. I had to do a bunch of other things to make up those points. And here's what I would argue that was. That was love. 
that what she did to me in that moment was incredibly loving. Because let's just be honest, in the world we live in, you don't get rewarded for that type of thing. And, and, and what she was doing was she was walking in truth and also walking in love. And as you think about our culture, as you think about society, as you think about the world that we live in, we don't see those things walk together a lot. But really more of what we see is we see kind of the, the pendulum swing on both of those sides. And what John does in this letter is he brings them both together very powerfully. And I just, we're going to walk through this verse by verse, and, and we'll kind of stop and talk for a little bit, and I'll refer back to these things on the screen. But this is 2 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, it says, the elder, that's how he refers to himself when you've been leading the church for a long time, and you're old, you get to call yourself that. And so he says, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. That phrase is kind of important, just kind of put in your hat. Because of, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. Now, as far as like New Testament greetings go, it's a pretty standard greeting. You're going to see that in really most of the letters that you would that you would read. But there's a couple things about this one that's a little unique, and I underlined them. Um, the, really, the, the thing that's so in, so unique is that that line, the elect lady and her children. And there's a lot of debate about who this is talking about. Okay, and there's really there's two schools of thought. One is that John is writing this to a specific person that he's writing it to a woman and her kids, and he is like kind of their pastor, and that this is a letter that he is sending to them. And the reason why people would make that argument is because that word there, lady, if it's transliterated, is the Hebrew equivalent of the name Martha. So, so some people, they're going to think that this is writing to Martha and her kids, which is very possible. A majority of people, though, are going to to think that this is talking as a metaphor for the church as a whole. And, and it's not that uncommon to think that. Um, and the reason why I, I would probably fall into that camp is because of that phrase I told you to put in your hat. It says, not only I, but all who know the truth. So it's saying that everyone who knows the truth loves you. He didn't even bring up her name. So this would be a really popular person to be able to say, everyone who knows the truth loves you. So it makes sense, it seems conceivable to me that, that really what he's doing is he's talking about the church. And, and if, as you look at John in the book of Revelation, a book that he writes a little bit later, he often refers to the church as the bride of Christ. So, so this is one of those metaphors that, that he uses pretty, pretty significantly and a lot. So that's where I land. I don't know that it really matters if this is to a, an individual person or to the church as a whole, we're still going to apply it the same. And what's really important that we see in this letter are all those other words that are underlined. All the truth and all the love. Because as a Christian, truth and love, they need to go hand in glove. And what happens 
what happens is if you're here, I would guess that you probably have a tendency to fall to one side or the other. And, and, and it, you, you're just going to gravitate towards doing one of those things more than the other. Me, personally, I'm probably going to be more on the loving side. Some people are probably going to be more on the truth side. And, and if you don't do those things together, as we're going to see in this letter, that it's, you're neither being truthful nor you're being loving if you let it go too far. You know, think of the people who fall on the truth side. And the people who, if the pendulum were to swing, they would be like, yeah, I just, I'm about the truth. And when I say the truth, I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about what the Bible says is right and wrong. I'm talking about um, what, what the Bible would say about how we're supposed to live. Like when, I talk, when, when he's talking about truth, that's what he's talking about. And, and there are people who I see who fall really heavy on that side. And, and with those people, what I have seen is I've seen they've used the truth as a way to lack grace. That they've used the truth as a way to be mean. That they've used this desire to be right as a way to make it seem like they have all of the answers. And if you're one of those people who would gravitate towards that way, I, would just, I think it's important that you ask yourself this question. Do, do I want to make my point or do I want to influence people? Because truth is far more effective when it's communicated in love. And, and so he says, okay, so that's, that's it. And then, then there's the love camp. And we're the love, the love camp. And, and, and we live in this society where to question anything is immediately defined as unloving. That you can't say, I don't know, that doesn't seem, like, because immediately once you start doing that, people will say, well, you, don't you love? And, and that's scary, because when you take truth away from love, that's not love. And, and here's the thing, you see this with your kids, Right? When they're doing something that could hurt them, what's the loving thing to do? Is to bring attention to that and correct it. Like, I think of this with our kids. So, um, right now, Jack's riding his bike in our neighborhood, and we do this thing where, where I kind of run out in front with Jack, and he's got his training wheels, and he's kind of going fast. And, and then Joanna, she, her and Madeline are back behind because she's pushing the stroller. And, and there's this moment of panic that comes over us. <laughs> every time a car starts coming our way, okay? And we do this thing with Jack, and we'll just start, like, Jack, get to this side of the road. And we're, like, pointing, like, hard, like, you know, and it's, and, like, I'll get in front of him, and I'm, like, over here, the right, you're on the right, Jack, come on. <clears throat> and here's the thing with Jack. He, he is super compliant, okay? So immediately, he's, like, over there, and if I raise my voice too much, he's probably going to start crying because he's just one of those kids. Someday we're going to teach Madeline how to ride a bike, okay? She's the second born, okay? She's not as compliant as her brother. So this is what's going to happen, okay? We're, I'm going to be out there running with her, riding the bike, and we're going to say, Madeline, get over to the right side of the road. We're going to start doing that yelling thing, and here's what Madeline's going to do. She's going to see, I want to see how close I can get to that car, because that's how she thinks. <laughs> and here's what's going to happen. She's going to do that, and here's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to say, sweetheart, you need to stop. And I'm going to get in her face. And I'm going to say, Madeline, Daddy loves you way too much to let you do that. 
if you're not going to pull over your bike next time, you're going to push it home. You know why I'm going to do that? Because I love her. You know what would be incredibly unloving? To be like, eh, Missouri law says the car's supposed to yield to pedestrians, so she'll probably be okay. Like, that, that would be, that would not be loving. Because she's ultimately going to get hurt. And even if she's not, she's going to put herself in a place where there's a really good chance that she will. And so what John is doing is he's setting up this idea that, okay, you've got to have love, and you, you've got to have truth, and figuring out how to walk in that is incredibly powerful. So he sets up the stage. He's doing what a good communicator does, which is in his intro saying, this is what I'm going to talk about. And then he goes through and he fleshes this out. Let me read this to you here in verse, in verse 4. And it says this. I rejoiced greatly to find, some of, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we've heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is his commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. That what he's doing in this example is it really feels like he's drawing attention to someone who knows the truth but isn't walking in love. Like that seems like the situation that he's, he's bringing up here because he's saying, hey, I find that some of your children are walking in the truth. That's great. But here's the deal. They still need to love. They think it's great. They know the right things. They, it, it's great that they're, that they're telling people the right things. But they're not walking in love. And, and then look at this. Like, this is the, like, this is, like, if I were to, this is passive-aggressive New Testament literature. He says, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we've had from the beginning that we should love one another. And then he goes on and says it again. Just as you have heard from the beginning. Like, this is the New Testament equivalent of your mom saying, how many times do I have to tell you to clean your room? Like, you, you know that you're supposed to clean your room. Like, you know that this is something that you're supposed to do, but here I am reminding, it, reminding you of it again. And, and he's right. Like, from the very beginning, it has been on God's heart to love people. That if you go all the way back to the person of Abraham, that God says, I am going to raise up your family so that I can bless the nations. Like, that is love. Then a few books later, in the, in the book of Leviticus, it's a book of law, okay? There's all kinds of weird stuff in there about what you should and shouldn't eat. Like, it's more for them than it is for us. But, but there's this verse, okay? A lot of times we think that the golden rule originated with Jesus. Or maybe you thought it originated on the wall at Lambert's, but I'm telling you that it actually originated even before that. That in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, this is what it says. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't get much earlier than, than the book of Leviticus. 
And so John just brings, hey, I've been saying this from the beginning. And then Paul, Paul says this in the book of Galatians, which is such a power move, okay? He says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Just like, that's huge. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's happening here in John's letter? I mean, he's drawing attention to something that we already know. And there, there are things in life, okay, that are surprising. And there are things in life that we all know, but it's still good to be reminded of from time to time. No one's going to walk in here on Easter and be like, oh, they're preaching about the resurrection. I had no idea. Like, you, you know that's what's coming. But it's still good that we remind ourselves of it from time to time. That we all know we're supposed to love people. But it's still good that we remind ourselves from time to time, okay, this is something that's important to God that this is something that matters to him, that this is a priority that I'm going to have to make. So then the question is, okay, well, then what does it look like? Okay, so we're supposed to love. So truth is there, but, but what, how do we flesh out love? And so if you go back to that passage in Second John, the one that had the different colors, um, it, it says this. It says, um, this is not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that you've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And then he says, but this is love. This is not a commandment, but this is love. It's actually the one before. There you go. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. Think about that. How do we love people? We follow the commandments. Because that, that's, that doesn't sound, like when you think of love and you think of like synonyms, you don't think commandments right away, right? But if you really go, let's just go to the 10 that we use. If you really think about the 10 commandments, there are a few things more loving that you can do for yourself and through, for others than by following these two, those two at tea. The first three commandments are all about how to worship God, how to serve him, how he wants you to do that. And if, if there is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, there is nothing more loving than you can do for yourself than figuring that out, than making sure that you do that right. It's incredibly loving. It's incredibly loving for those around you to make sure that you know how to do that right. And the fourth one, it's about Sabbath. It's about rest. And it seems pretty loving to take a break every once in a while, and I can tell you it's certainly a... It's certainly a blessing to those around you because you don't know you when you haven't had a break, but I can tell you they don't like you. And so, <clears throat> so, there, so there's that. But then if you shift to the rest of the commandments, they're all about other people. I mean, you got do not murder, which in the Old Testament means don't kill someone, which seems pretty loving if someone makes you mad. You say, you know what, I'm not going to kill you. Like, that's... That's the basement. But Jesus even raises the stakes. He says, yeah, you've heard it said this is the case, 
But in, under the new covenant, this is actually what it means not to murder somebody. Yep, yep, don't kill them. But even if you hate someone, well, then you've, you've murdered them. I mean, what is more loving than saying, yeah, I'm not going to hate people? It's incredibly loving to make that decision. If you look at some of the other ones, talk about adultery. I mean, think of how unloving that act is. It's unloving to, to the person you're cheating on. It's unloving to the people who are affected by that decision. It's incredibly unloving to do that. And, and Jesus even says, yep, don't do that. But here's the deal. Even if you look lustfully at somebody, you've already committed adultery with them. So to look, and think of that. Think of how unloving it is to look at someone lustfully and treat them like an object. That's incredibly unloving. And then you've got, you've got lying, which I think we can all see how that would be something that would be unloving, to tell someone something that isn't true, to manipulate them to do something you want them to do. Yeah, that's, that's not very loving. Stealing, I think we, we get the point. And so for, for John to say, yeah, this is love, that we obey the commandments, Maybe we don't think in those terms a lot. But if we really want to love people and to love them well, we can do that by discovering what God says and doing those things. That's an incredibly loving act. And so you've got this picture here that John paints of of truth without love, and he kind of practically shows you how to do it. And then he, he goes and shows us another example. And this is, this is what it looks like to love without truth. So we had truth without love, and now this is, this is love without truth. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The last part of this is going to be hard. Okay, like it's, it's pretty direct, and it's pretty there, but let me explain it. I think it'll make a little bit more sense. But Second John chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, this isn't talking about the antichrist that you've heard in those books. This is just saying someone who is against Christ. It says, watch, for your, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but that you may win a full reward. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you, this is the part that's tough, if anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So here John, he raises the stakes. And let's just be honest, like that's kind of hard. But what he's doing is he's drawing attention to the fact the most important thing you can do is make sure that you are right with God. But there is nothing more important than making sure you are right with him. 
And then this, this is about not letting anything cut in on that. Because if nothing else matters than getting that right, it is not loving to let someone try to deceive you or to try to deceive those who you love. Now, there's context here that makes it make sense because this, this was written during a different day than the one that we live in. So, so what would happen is people would travel and they would travel and they would, they would preach. And then because there wasn't like a plethora of hotels, the people in the church would take itinerant preachers and they would put them up in their homes. And so what John's doing is he's drawing attention to a very specific situation. He's saying there are people who are traveling. And when they travel and they go from town to town to preach, here is their message. That Jesus was only God, that he did not come in the flesh. Which, if you are a person whose hope is in the cross and on the fact that Jesus rose a physical body from the grave, to say that he was never human, well, that completely destroys the basis of your hope. And so what, what John is saying is saying, don't do anything to make it easy on them sharing that message. If they're going to come into town, they're going to want to stay in your house. Do not let them stay at your house. Even you say, well, what about the thing where it says about greeting them? Is that talking about saying hi to them? No, that's talking, about, that's talking about encouraging them in a way to make their message easier. And he's saying that is not what you are supposed to do. Now, just because it's so direct, I want to make sure that we know what he's not talking about. That, that John is not saying, don't be hospitable to people who don't follow Jesus that you absolutely should be hospitable, practice Christian hospitality to people who are, who are not serving the Lord. There should be people in your life that you are praying for, that you're making the most of every opportunity with. That is not what this is talking about. This is also not talking about avoiding conversations with people who disagree with you, that you should go to coffee with that person, that you should build that relationship. So what this is talking about is saying if you know someone believes something that is not the gospel, do not give them a platform to share it in your life. Do not give them a platform to share it in your church. That be very careful with those voices that you're letting into your heart. That that would be how we would flesh that out today. And, and something, honestly, really similar to this happened to me about a year and a half ago. I'm sitting out there in the foyer, it's probably 9.15, and a guy comes up to me, and he's wearing a suit, and so I knew something was off, and, and he comes up to me, and he's wearing a suit, and, and he says, pastor? And I, I'm like, how do you know I'm the pastor? Like, I look like I'm 17, like, how did you, and then I was like, oh, it's the microphone, that's what gave it away, and, and he comes up, and he says, pastor, I have a word for your church today. And then he proceeded. It, it, something, it was something essentially like that once you become a Christian, you're supposed to never sin again. Like that was essentially the word. And like he had like a journal and he was like showing me all his notes. And, and he's like, so I would really like to, I'd really like to, to speak 
this morning at your church. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is like, I was like, okay. Like, and he was really direct and forward. And I said, and I looked at him. And I, was, and I was trying to be, and I was kind. And I said, brother, I really appreciate your heart. I bet what you're doing is very difficult to walk into churches full of people you don't know and ask to speak. I said, I'm sure that's really difficult and that takes courage. But here's what you got to know. It's on my, my responsibility is to protect this group of people. And it's my responsibility to test the spirits and to see what God has for this church today. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't feel like that's it. And then he was like, okay. And I was, I'm like, you're more than welcome to stay in our service. We'd love to have you. Feel free to worship with us. But, um, but we're not going to do that. And, and he comes in, and I go and find the security, and I just say, hey, heads up, that guy in the suit, he might jump up on the stage. You tackle him. I'll take care of the awkward. And, and I got up, and I preached, and nothing happened, and it was fine. And, but, but that's my responsibility. Like, that, that's, I don't need to give him a platform. Like, I don't know what he's going to say. He told me what he was going to say. It was stupid. Like, and so I'm not going to give it to him. Like, but, but that's not, like, that's, that's not what I'm supposed to be. It would be incredibly unloving for me to say, you know what, this guy seems like a good guy. Let's give him 35 minutes on our stage. That would be incredibly unloving to you. And, and here's the thing. Maybe you're thinking, okay, well, well Ryan, like, I mean, I don't get the, the modern-day application because, truthfully, I'm not picking who speaks at New Life. And I would say, well, maybe someday you'll sit on a committee where you will, but, yeah, um, you, you're, you're probably right. But here's, what, here's how this does apply in your own life. In your own life, you have to ask yourself, what voices am I letting influence me? And are they voices that are contrary to the word of God? And if they are, and they are influencing you, the most loving thing that you can do is to no longer give them a platform in your life. And, and, and honestly, as your parents, you've got to look at, okay, what am I letting my kids watch? What am I letting speak into their lives? Am I just assuming that they're going to be able through their lens to interpret that? That sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for your children when they're hearing a message contrary to the word of God is to say, I love you and I love you way too much to let you watch that because I know how it could influence you that that is what this is talking about. It is a picture of truth and love, walking hand in glove. And then Johnny finishes with this, verse 12. He says, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use the paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face so that our joy might be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now just as we finish up this, this message, draw our attention to that our joy might be made complete. If you can walk in truth and love, here's what I tell you will happen. You'll have joy. That you will. That you will have joy because you are doing the right things in the right way. That that is what truth and love does to you when you walk in it. But not only does, will it make your joy complete, but here's what I can tell you too. That as God looks down and he sees your life and he sees the way that you live, if he sees you walking 
with truth and joy. Not only will it bring you joy, it'll also bring him joy. And, and if you think about God, that there is not a better embodiment of truth and love than Jesus Christ. That what greater picture is there of love than to come onto this earth and be rejected by those who made you, to die a brutal, vicious death on a cross that you ultimately created? What is more loving than that act? But he didn't just come to die. He also told us how we should live. That time and again, he would tell people, go and sin no more. That he would make sure that they understood the truth and they also knew that he loved them. And my challenge for you this morning is that as you leave this place, let us be people, not who fall in one camp more than the other, but, but let us be people who are embodied by truth and love. And God in his grace through his spirit will help us do this effectively. Let's pray. Thank you for watching our services. If you have questions or you would like more information, you can visit us online at nlspringfield.com. We'd also love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning services. We have programs at 9.30 and 11 for adults, students, and kids. We hope to see you there.